Simon for News on the White, and we're Inventor today, and we're with... Nick Joyce, I'm the founder of Grown Group. Now Nick, this is going to be a really interesting chat, because you're, you've got a business that is based on the Isle of Wight, that is looking towards helping people in, well, part of the business, insulate their homes. Yep. But maybe we can go back to sort of early days of where you came across this business or what you were doing before you did this? Okay. I think sailing um, involved. Yeah, I don't know how far back you want to go, but um, left school, didn't go to university. Um, took a sort of, didn't know what I wanted to do, so took a bit of a gap year and then went and worked on boats. I spent my first part of my career working on big sailing boats, racing sailing boats, which inevitably brought me to the Isle of Wight. And then I moved to the island in about 2012, 2013. Um, and continued sailing from there. Um, so that's, you know, working at sea, travelling a lot. Um, so that's where my career first started, um, and I was, that, that's what I was doing full-time. And racing is competitive racing? Racing, competitive racing, yes. Yeah, right. It's kind of ocean-going campaigns mostly, so sort of some of the around-the-world races, the Volvo Ocean Race, the Bondi Globe, different teams. Tough stuff. Um, yeah, it was tough, and we, it was brilliant fun. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily, um, I wasn't always in the sort of the top-tier race team, but being part of the, 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 the expanded team, doing deliveries, doing lots of miles at sea, um, being involved with lots of smaller races as well, you know, different parts of the world, and it was great. Um, but I think we, um, you did, I did start to notice as we went around the world and, you know, um, became quite aware of my own, my own carbon footprint and the amount of the team were flying oh, and the right. circus that flies with some of these events, but mm. also what we'd see like at sea, the amount of rubbish we'd see floating in the water, because obviously was, we all know there's a huge plastic problem in the world and you know, that was just one thing. And we did, you know, I could be in the middle of the Atlantic, I've crossed the Atlantic nine times, and you'd see just stuff floating in the most obscure places, you know. You know, the, I think the worst thing I saw was I saw a huge Stella Artois beer fridge in the middle of the Atlantic, just wow. floating along, you know. You kind of wonder, where did that come from? Where yeah. did that start? How long has it been out here for? And it's mm. now, and who's going to pick it up? You know, we can't pick it up. Yeah. It's going to be there forever, just, just drifting around, or, you know, it might eventually sink, but still, it's going to be there forever. So I just became quite conscious and quite aware of, litter, rubbish, and, you know, I'm, I'm, by, I'm by no means a full-blown environmentalist, but I started to become quite sympathetic to these issues. Mm. And then, yeah, well, then we... Can I just ask you about the yeah. plastics then? Is, what is it sort of, you see a, a bottle of milk or you see like a, a metre-wide area of it? You literally or? see all sorts, you know, from, you know, it could be a Coke bottle to, you know, a drinks bottle to huge pieces of tarpaulin. That are probably they're probably blown off a fishing boat or a ship somewhere, but you know, or they could be, you, you don't know, but you yeah. and then you'll see everything, you know, old old fishing boys, lobster pots, yeah. um, use every shape and size of plastic, okay. like to, up to a beer fridge, you know. To, yeah. <laughs> you'll see, it, it, it's pretty, um, it's kind of fascinating to think where you know it's kind of a how, how far has that thing drifted for? Where did it start to yeah. get to the you know where wherever it was in the middle of the Atlantic or yeah. middle of the Mediterranean or somewhere? But it's. Uh, the same time it's quite sickening really because it's just out there it's nobody's problem because it's just in the middle of nowhere but they're just drifting around and mm. you know, obviously whales eat it or whatever you know it's not it's yeah. not a good thing uh, and the problem's only really getting worse so that was yeah where we where you know I started to really start thinking about these some of these issues um and how we could maybe do things slightly better um um anyway cuts fast forward a little bit I had a I'd Got a really bad knee injury. I blew my ACL to pieces. Had like a we stopped it from sailing for about eighteen months. And whilst I was recovering from that, I started taking a product called CBD, which is a, a hemp derived um, sort of a health supplement. And I, as I was taking that to help with the pain in my knee, I sort of realised, well, you know, 
I wonder how hard it is to start your own CBD company because it was quite a new, um, it was quite a new um, industry at the time. There wasn't many players in the game. And, you know, the, the players I did look at, they weren't growing their own hemp necessarily. They weren't doing this, they weren't doing that. So I thought, let's start growing our own hemp. So we, I worked with a company on the island and another farmer and we, we, uh, we started growing hemp on the island. We started pressing, pressing the seeds, made our own hemp seed oil, made a really unique product, and that was why CBD, why CBD still exists today. Okay. Little plug for my product there, but yeah, <laughs> so that's, that's still going. Um, but we, that's how I got into hemp, and then how, whilst, how do you how do you start that then? Where do you get the hemp seeds to start? And so hemp, by definition, or teach sake, so the hemp is just part of the cannabis family. So for all intents and purposes, it looks the same, smells the same, um, and this, but this is this hundreds, if not thousands, of different strains of. Um, cannabis and hemp there's you know there's lots different and there's new varieties bred all the time so the, the strains we grow um, we, we've been growing a hybrid strain which is good for seeds and for fiber so that what we make our building products out of now are more fibrous strains but there, there's fibrous strains being developed now that will go to three or four meters tall so you get maximum fiber yield per right. acre or whatever but um, yeah so we you have to get a license from the home office because it's still a controlled uh, plant to grow yeah. um, so if you get a controlled drug license a hemp cultivation license um, so get the license, start growing the crop, and it grows just like any sort of arable crop. Um, you, you get you get drilled in the ground. These, it's not grown in greenhouses or people's lofts. <laughs> no, it's just grown in farmers' fields. Um, locations we always kept very pretty secret because it's just we don't want every man and his dog traipsing through our fields. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, you just drill it like any other seed, like any other arable crop, and then a hundred days later it's harvested. So it grows very quickly. Um, right. No herbicides, no pesticides. Very, and it can grow in quite um, tough conditions. It's quite drought resistant. Um, it's like pretty said, hardy stuff, though. Really hardy. Yeah, it's right. great. You know, historically hemp's grown all over the world. So this, the strains we grow actually come from Finland. Um, so it's, it can grow in sort of slightly colder environment than the UK. So okay. there's a bit of a myth that you need warm, hot conditions to grow mm. hemp or cannabis strains. It's um, you can grow there's different strains for everywhere in the world. Mm. So yeah, we started doing that on the island, um, and then every um, every week or month, I was reading a different article about hemp could be used to make different things: hemp-based plastics, hemp-based concrete, hemp-based insulation, hemp, all these different things. You know, lots of clever people from all over the world, you know, researching what you can make out of hemp. So um, obviously, you know, white CBD was ticking over, and but we, you know, we I started to look at the bigger picture of. What is the urgent requirement in the UK? You know, net zero twenty fifty. You know, what what's one of the hugest parts of that? And that's insulating buildings. You know, insulating buildings is the cheapest. We can talk about heat pumps, electric cars, solar PV all day till the cats come home. But it's if people just insulated their houses, it would be you know it would be a huge part of the problem solved. About twenty nine million homes in the UK for context need additional insulation. So. And a large proportion on the Isle of Wight. About 38,000 houses on the island, I believe, need additional insulation. Of, of about 70,000, yeah, so. It's um, right. something along those lines. It's, it's a lot. It's about 30 years' work for about 150 people. You know, you know, it's, the, the, the Isle of Wight Council have commissioned a report. I can quote you. I can, I can pull uh-huh. that up and pull some figures if you would like. It's, um, yeah. it's, it's, it's an island road scale of approach. You know, it's, a, it's a whole enterprise. Um, yeah, a lot of work to be done there. So... Um, but yeah, so UK-wide, huge problem. And then it struck me that, you know, a new hemp-based insulation exists. So it's, I thought, you know, we can either, 
when we insulate homes, we can either fill them with t- more t- you know, sort of traditional sort of status quo legacy products like um, fiberglass or mineral wool or you know there are you know, things like Celotex and other expanded polystyrene boards, which are all fairly they do a very good job of insulating, but lifespan they're pretty terrible. They can't be recycled. They're very carbon intensive to manufacture, um, and you know the, everyone thinks when you put something in a building, it will be there forever because buildings last forever. They don't. The average building in the UK now only lasts for about seventy-one years. Um, we obviously we do have lots of older buildings in the UK, five hundred years old, six hundred years old. We're kind of blessed with history, aren't we? Mm-hmm. But, um, we, yeah. Everyone, everyone thinks if you put it in there, it's going to be there forever. That that's not the case. So I thought if we're going to insulate twenty-nine million homes on a, on a huge scale, why don't we just do this with better materials now that are that capture carbon during their growth and manufacture, right. that are net carbon negative, and that at the end of their life can be fully recycled, turned back into more of the same product. And in the future, we hope to have a compostable product. So um, that's that's what we got to in okay. terms of manufacturing and choosing what the kind of core product range would be for for growing group and what we're going to manufacture first out of industrial hemp. So we landed on insulation, um, but then it came down to what can we do on a more local level. You know, the com- the, the company is nominally based on the island. My, you know, my office is in Cowes Yardhaven. We but we are supplying stores nationwide. We're, we're working with architects, developers nationwide, looking at big projects. Unfortunately, the factory won't be on the island. I've tried to twist some arms with local authority, and just because of the logistics issues we know that exist on the island, mm-hmm. um, we yeah, we I'd love it to be here, but unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be here. We hope to open that factory in about eighteen months' time. Um, that would be processing the hemp, processing right? hemp, and turning it into hemp-based insulation, right? Um, and, and a few other products in time, but uh, it's just there's not the space available, and yeah, we need to. Be growing is it? I mean, it's what's so you're talking big scale, sixty thousand square foot, probably um, industrial units. So okay. um, there's not there's not a lot of commercial property on the island. Um, what there is is quite expensive. Okay, and we need to, we, we obviously we want this to be as close to farmers as possible. Yeah, um, so because so, you're looking at reducing or minimising your exactly carbon, that, yeah. right? We, we want the whole supply chain to be as to minimise the, the carbon, you know, um, in that supply chain as much as possible to make mm-hmm. everything as local as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so we grow it as close to the factory process it and then it gets shipped out to its end destination mm-hmm. um, with the goal that in time hopefully we will have you know one two three factories across the uk to get that footprint down even further but mm-hmm. you know we have to start have yeah to start somewhere so yeah. um and these these factories are very expensive and we've had to we've had to fundraise privately right. to get the money to get the capital to open this factory so that's been quite a journey to raise they, i mean the funders can surely see the opportunity they can 29 million houses needing insulation no they can but obviously you are competing like I said you're competing against legacy companies you know um, Kingspan okay. are a 15 billion pound company are they? Um, okay. and then you've got you know the likes of Rockwell in the UK I think they're 200 million pounds turnover in the UK let alone globally hmm. um, these are big players big um, like I said huge corporations doesn't that show massive opportunity it, well it does on one hand it does of course it shows the scale of the opportunity it shows the scale of the players in the marketplace uh, you know, one of the Bigger retailers uh, who I can't name just now, but we made very good progress with. They sell over two hundred million pounds of insulation every year just in their stores alone in the wow. UK. So there's a lot of insulation sold every year in the UK, mm. and that's only going to increase. But again, we are competing against yeah. scale and volume of big big players. So, um, but you know, mm. you've got to start somewhere. They're not doing what we're doing. Yeah, um, and we we've got quite a unique product. And you know, we're just looking to get it to the market and roll it out and hoping that people will, would like to choose a sort of healthy, more sustainable option mm. for their mm. homes. Um, so that's, yeah, that's where we've got to with that. So I guess with, with the private money, private venture money, it's 
it, they're looking at that you need to have physical. They, they like things where you don't have many overheads, I guess, for massive returns, whereas it, you've got a big factory. Although they, maybe they want to look at Tesla and see how successful they've been. Well, this is the, again, not to go down on like a sort of rant about um, the current state of venture finance in the UK, but we, we've knocked on the doors, or we've knocked on a lot of doors asking for money, venture capital firms, private equity, um, private investors. We happen to live in the sort of last 10 years, te- the world of tech, everyone's obsessed with tech. so. Mm. You know, there's been like huge success stories of little tech businesses. You know, you, you look at your, your Zooms, obviously your, your mm. Facebooks and your Metas and your, all the rest of it. Mm. The, these people, just, you write X amount of lines of code and then you know, it's, the company's worth 50 billion and everyone's sort of lost their minds. A lot, of the, <laughs> a lot of the venture capital firms we spoke to, the first question they ask is, do you have any tech? Is, it, is, it, is there any tech base in it at all? And, they, and we say, no, we're just a good old fashioned manufacturing business we want to make things and sell them to people mm-hmm. and it doesn't you know and the business model stacks up you look at you know we look at all the cases we've just talked about but they don't get excited about excuse me they don't get excited about a business that may not be they're all looking for this you know the the unicorn or the yeah, yeah. you know we i don't think we'll be that but we you know we, we should be able to create a, a good long-term business and deliver a lot of impact because you know first and foremost we're, we're an impact driven business that's yeah what we exist to be so, um, but yeah, we, we, we struggled, uh, well, I say we struggled, we, like I said, we knocked a lot of doors. We spent a lot of time talking to these kind of venture capital companies and private equity and with largely the same feedback for more than that, you know, they're the only one to really invest in tech companies at the moment. Right. Because it's, they, they don't need a lot of cash, so, you know, they, yeah. um, multiple and, so high. Multiple so high in yeah. return. So we stopped knocking those doors and mm. we went down more sort of um, looking for sort of private um, high net worth individuals who were sort of um, impact driven, who were very oh, interested in looking to invest their capital right. in longer term um, success, but also looking to deliver impact. And it's mm. great that, and it's kind of heartwarming, there are lots of people out there who do have substantial amounts of money. And Maybe they, ones that have made the money out of tech. <laughs> well, exactly that, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah, people who they, they want to deliver impact and they want to see their, um, their, their I guess, their, their cash and their, their personal legacy being put to some good use. So right. these are the sort of people we're talking to at the moment, and we've great. got um, you know agreements with people to to fund this factory. Um, but we're still we, we are still we're always looking for more money. That's a, yeah, because it's, it's about six million pounds we need to, re- to require as the bare minimum to open the factory to process and manufacture. So it's not which seems. Attainable. It does, yeah. It's, you know, I mean, in this mad world of huge valuations, where we're talking hundreds of millions for whatevers. Exactly. So that six seems not like a lot. So on one hand, you're right. You know, in the world of LinkedIn, and you know, you open the Financial Times and whatever. You know, I listen to the FT podcast every morning, the little daily. Someone's raised fifty million. Someone's raised eighty million. Someone's uh-huh. been sold for two and a half billion. All these huge numbers, and we get very good at saying it quickly and right. not realizing what a colossal amount of cash that <laughs> is. So when I sit and ask, when you're writing the check, it's yeah, a, yeah, exactly. So yeah. you know, it's been a brilliant experience for me because I've not done it before, done this before. So I've kind of sat in meetings with these people, um, and one guy, um, one chap we spoke to, he, you know, when I said to him, you know, look, we're looking to raise six million. It's eat like. You know, I found myself saying it, you know, six million. And he's like, Nick, you're asking me, you know, this guy's worth more than 500 million pounds, you know, personally. He's like, you're asking me for six million pounds of my own cash, you know, you better have a good business case here. Right. And then, you know, he raised a very good point because people do get lost in the, yeah. you know, six million in the huge world of we live in, you know, like I said, these massive valuations and other, you know, um, fundraisers isn't loads of cash, but mm-hmm. it's still, I don't take it lightly that we've, um, we're asking for that kind of money. Uh, you know, we have, a, we have a good plan of how we're going to spend it. But mm-hmm. most of it's based on 
it's, we're not um, a tech company looking to spend on marketing. We're, we're buying just machines, and the machines right. cost you know millions of pounds. Right. Um, so you know it's quite it's asset backed as such. It's not you know we're not looking to just fritter it on fluffy stuff. Mm. <laughs> you know what kind of machines do you need? Then you need for processing of the hemp. Yeah. So processing hemp. Sort of in sort of real layman's simple terms, if a hemp stalk's a bit like a bamboo cane, so it's that tough, is it? Yeah, yeah it's not quite as hard, but it's okay. not far off. Particularly um, if you're growing ones of that strain. Yeah, then. exactly. So yeah. Um, you, you, the, the more fibrous strains, um, they've got slightly thicker, um, slightly, slightly thicker stalks, um, but they 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 almost they are that tough, and they're very strong. You know, we've used hemp forever historically to make ropes and sails and all sorts of stuff because it is tough and strong. You know. Mm. Um, as a natural fibre, it's one of the strongest natural fibres out there. Um, you know, a lot of people say it's stronger than steel, but I don't um, quantify that's quite difficult. Mm-hmm. I'm sure someone far more clever than I, I am probably could, but um, it is very hard. So to process it, we, in real simple terms, everyone's everyone's still on a bamboo cane in the garden by accident, and it sort of splinters, and you get that kind of classic green stick um, fracture sort of thing, and it all splinters from the outside. Um, that's basically what we do. So we get the hemp stalks. It gets cut down in the field. It gets bailed up, and the bales get chucked into these machines, and they basically just get squashed and combed and squashed and combed, and the fibres get pulled away from the core. So the fibres that we're after are on the, are on the outside of the stalk, and they, so that's called hemp fibre, and the core of it is called hemp shiv or hemp herd, and that gets used for all sorts of different things as well. And there are products we're looking to, because um, the hemp, the core of the stalk is about seventy percent of the plant. So we're looking to like we there are uses for that from horse bedding. The horsey people love it. It's great for horses. You know, chicken bedding. You know, there's lots of agricultural uses for it. But also things like hemp concrete, hemp building blocks, um, other insulation products, um, hard boards, sort of you know OSB board replacement. So we are developing other products with mm. with that part of the plant because mm-hmm. it's about 70% of the plant. So we end right. up with mountains of the stuff. Yeah. Um, so we need to find a good use for that. Um, but the fibres. And the, the core, the bases get once they've been squashed a few times, they get combed apart. So you end up with a big pile of fiber and a big pile of core. And then when it comes to making the insulation products, that's on a separate set of machinery. Um, like I said, these machines, they're, they're, they're big machines, but it's the same sort of machines you'd use to make a mattress, a foam mattress, or um, uh, if you've ever had a frozen ready meal delivered in the post, and it comes with that kind of natural recycled material insulation to keep the to keep it frozen. It's a, it's pretty much a very similar process to that. Um, but in, again, in real layman's terms, the fiber, um, it's about 95% hemp fiber and about 5% recycled milk bottle fibers, um, which we need to kind of glue it all together at the end of the process. But okay. they basically get jumbled around with loads of compressed air and then they get squashed and you've, you almost end up with a giant dreadlock. That's effectively all, yeah. all that is, is. It's almost just a giant dreadlock of it all sort of, you know, mixed together, matted together. All those, all those binding fibers well mixed in with the hemp. It goes through a and the air is an important part of it. Well, the air, so that's, that's the, the insulation. I exactly. Guess, so it? the air is the. Um, it's, it's a fine game of um, reducing density of the product, so you get more air, but maintaining structural integrity. So it's taken us a long time to develop a product. We've been um, working with Italian and French partners um, to trial that's in the machinery. Is in it? the machinery, yeah. Right. So um, you know, different machines produce different outcomes, and that's been a big part of the last eighteen months for us is working with machinery manufacturers, taking UK um, sort of. Um, source stock so hemp fiber from the uk because mm. it does make a difference where you buy it from right um is that different growing conditions different or? growing conditions um because it's a natural product if you grow it in france they might have a different similar to what we had in the uk that year so it could be a different color different mm. density so consistency has been something we've you know worked quite hard to right. to get um but yes yeah, so it's a game of trying to reduce density of the product 
whilst maintaining um, structural integrity because the yeah. more trapped air you've got, the, the better it is as an insulator. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so like it, at the end of the process, when it comes out, it comes out as this giant dreadlock mat. It goes through a set of rollers and it gets cooked. It goes through an oven and squashed, and the binding fibers melt and give it the keep it all together. The binding basically. fibers being the recycled the, 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 the milk recycled bottles. Milk bottles right. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Yeah. So we're looking to try and we, we'd like to do 100% hemp fiber products, um, but it's not feasible at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. But we've looked at a few of the different things, but it's a case of making it commercially viable. Uh, we can't. We well, you're providing a service as well. You know, it's not a milk <coughs> bottle floating in an ocean then, is no, exactly, it? Exactly. Yeah. So we, it's, it's something's been repurposed. And at the end of life, so during manufacture, the edges of the product are trimmed off to give you, to give nice square edges for, you know, to sit on, you know, builders, merchant shelves, etc. and for easy to make, make it easy to fit. Mm -hmm. But the edges are trimmed off and the edges, um, they're shredded like, like on site. It's just part of the, part of the production line. They're shredded suck back to the start and go through again. So the whole process is zero waste. Right. But likewise for the whole product, when it come, if at end of life, if there were any offcuts um, left on a building site or end of life if the building was um, demolished, all the slabs can come back to us, be shredded, mm -hmm. turn back into the same product again. So it's a 100% circular product. Right. Um, so as, as a company, the, the lowest benchmark we're willing to say is we won't make anything that's not circular. Right. Um, and then compostable is sort of somewhere above that if we, if we can achieve that with some of our products. But um mm that creates a whole different set of, you know, issues. So yeah. we're, we're quite happy with where we are now. The product's yeah. approved, it's got all the relevant um, building certification, fire tests, structural tests, et cetera, et cetera. So um, again, that's been a journey and it's been a process. I mean, how do you, when you first sat down and thought, oh, this could be quite a good idea, <laughs> how much, uh, did you realise quite how much research and, and background you'd need um, before? Probably not, no. Well, I guess that means it makes it realistic to do it because you're in ignorance of yeah. how big the job is. <laughs> Naively, uh, I'm, I'm kind of endlessly optimistic as a person to my own detriment sometimes, but um, yeah, naively optimistic. But I can, it's kind of a good thing. And like I said, I'm not a graduate. I'm not a material scientist. I'm not even really a farmer. I'm, I'm, I'm almost an accidental farmer. Um, <laughs> and we started growing on the island. You know, I worked with some really great local contractors who you know, explained, you know, I didn't grow up on a farm. I didn't right. grow up farming. So, and here I am, you know, um, you know, 60 I'm, acres you've got, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so we, like we're that? growing on a 60 acre site here on the right. island. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, we're growing, we're, you know, we're partnered with the biggest land agent in the UK now. He managed in excess of a million acres um, right. who are very pro hemp, which is great. So again, one of the big barriers to hemp as a, as a sort of construction material was the scale it's been done at. So when right. we started this, we like, if we're going to do this, this can't be, if you go on sort of YouTube and type in, you know, hemp concrete or hemp building products, you'll always find videos of some really well-intentioned kind of like hippies, dare I say it, mixing stuff in wheelbarrows and making, which is brilliant, very artisan. I've got so much time for it, but it isn't, you'll never create the impact that we're trying to deliver. It's, yeah. You can't scale it. So, Yeah, you need we, 29 million wheelbarrows then. You? Exactly, you need <laughs> yeah, just huge amounts. So we... One of the biggest pieces of work I did to start with was to sit down and work out, right, what do we look at the scale of the problem, 29 million homes, how do we dial it back from that? What sort of scale? What, how much insulation is there's 1.4 billion pounds worth of insulation sold in the UK every year? How do we, how do we take 1% of that market? How do we, how do we displace, you know, 1% of plastic based products? You know, right. you know, what machinery is required? What, you know, and we actually, so we, we started it, we was like 1%, how do we take 1% of that market? And then we've kind of, you know, worked from there. Uh, but that's how we built the model, looked at the size of the machinery required, and then worked back from there, and then did the trials, developed a product. Um, but just so much trial and error, basically, mm. just 
taking fibres. I said working with you know French and Italian companies, um, working with universities. Um, again, that was a big thing for me. Um, reaching out to universities as a, as a non-graduate, as someone you know, right. and then you know it's, it's been great to work with some really clever, brilliant young people who you know are, who are material scientists and mm. can answer some of the questions. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just been a lot of that, and then I think. I don't. Well, one thing I've really misunderstood is how conservative the building industry is. Okay. Um, it's because fundamentally we don't want buildings to fall down. Yes. Um, so, which is it's a good benchmark. It's a good, it's a good standard <laughs> to set. Yeah. So we, but to, to try to introduce a brand new product into a into a conservative market is very difficult. Mm. Um, fundamentally, everyone is always the feedback we've always had has been always largely very positive. Um, everyone loves the product, loves the idea, but it's just now trying to work it into. Um, larger scale developments um, yeah. but you know, we're getting there so their view is well we've got a product that works so why would we shift away from that exactly that they, despite um, seeing what would be benefits for future generations yeah so that's um, obviously a lot of it's cost driven so our product is more expensive at the moment it's something we're working on very hard to bring the cost down but it only comes with volume mm-hmm. um, so the, the more we grow the more we manufacture obviously the cheaper we can make it just, just by purely just you know, yeah. you know scale we so what has been good, and the, the partners we're working with, some of the larger, some larger developers, um, architects, practices, they they get it. And you know, when I when I approach these people, I say, you know, we're starting a journey here. This isn't something we can solve overnight. This is five years, ten years. But we, we if you're interested in the product, you can't wait five years because if you wait five years, right. it will never happen. Yeah. So you need to join us now, get on board now. And we've said this to everyone, so you know, architects, developers, retailers, you know, the builders, merchants. The bigger players and so look guys you know if you want this product and you want it at the price point you want it at you've got to right you've got to come on the journey with us yeah and that's kind of been largely well received um you'll get some people who just uh, who are never going to care mm-hmm. but they're never going to be our right you know, they're never going to be our customer um yeah. so but everyone else is you know we're you know slowly but surely taking getting into more and more retailers um getting you know like i said architects are specking us we've got a whole house system now that we've developed with another local business, um, Sydenham's Timber Engineering on the island, and they've been brilliant. What does a whole house system mean? Um, so, again, one of the some of the biggest feedback we've had is you know we send out the information about the installation product to architects, and we've reached out to pretty much every single architect on in the UK about thirteen and a half thousand. Wow! And we've had I don't know three or four thousand get back to us in with different emails and different questions, mm. um, and they all say, "Yeah, I love the product, but how do we use it? How do we?" Because they're, again, they're very much used to using legacy systems, you know, the, the bigger players, because they know how much um, mineral wool has to go into a wall to achieve X amount of U value and right. all these different things. That U value being the amount of energy yeah, that's yeah, lost the, through yeah, the, 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 the wall. performance of the wall, um, okay. which is obviously part of the building regs. So, um, as also as well as just just the simple things, just the wall build up, you know, and for, obviously for the overall fire rating of that wall and all these bits and pieces. So instead of us just sending them a the, the the product that they'd have to do all that legwork themselves. We okay. designed our own house system um, with the, with the guys at Sydenham's, and we um, yeah, which is which has gone down very well so far. So that would um, be as simple as in a lounge you'd use it like this, in a bathroom you use no, no, it like no, this. No, no, purely a whole um, from the ground up. So timber frame house, um, which is obviously very low negative carbon, um, using our insulation products in the sort of lofts walls. And then other, we found other existing low carbon products to, you know, from your plasterboard on the internal face to your cladding on the external face and everything in between, you know, vapour barriers and all yeah. the other constituent parts of a building. We've looked to achieve um, 
find the lowest um, carbon existing products on the market that were already certified. Mm. Um, because again, there are some really brilliant, clever people out there working on some other house systems, utilizing you know um, lots more you know natural products where they can. But the road to certification for that system is going to be three or four years. Whereas we've come from a mindset of what can we do now? Yeah. What's the fastest way we can get? more lower carbon products into the into the supply chain into the into the building industry which we can constantly improve which we can always add to over time as more products become available as mm-hmm. we develop new things ourselves swap bits but in and out exactly how, yeah. how do we how do we what's the you know i think progress is progress whether it's one percent fifty percent you know 100 percent. Mm-hmm. you can't just um yeah if, if we if we replaced fiberglass in in one new development if they were going to use fiberglass insulation before and then they're using hemp-based fiber installation, the next one, that's still quite a, it's a big saving. Mm-hmm. So if we can get that out as fast as, as we can, that's, mm. what we've, that's what we've aimed for. So we call it Grown Home. Um, so yeah, Grown Home is being actually a scoop of it. It's gonna be launched properly next week. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite exciting. Mm. Um, so I mean, it's just sitting here listening to you talk about it. It's, so I'm it's talking just, a lot. <laughs> no, it's, but that's what it's about. That's what we want. We wanna hear about this stuff. Um, it's just, staggering the scale of what you've taken on and and then i guess that came from meetings of you showing the product you know you're sort of saying what's standing between you taking this up and them saying well we need a whole system and then yeah. you go and research all of these low impact products and then build this it's just a, an enormous amount of work it is <laughs> yeah it's been um yes yeah, there's just you find you know it's that kind of one door closes another door opens so every day um, yeah, every every day you, you call up someone. You, you, I try and sell it, or we mm. we try and get it. We speak to a different developer, and they always ask loads of different questions. And then the questions, obviously, you, you which learn, is great for you, which is great, which you always yeah. learn from. Because again, you know, like I said, because I, because I'm I'm not an architect, I'm not a material scientist, I'm not I'm not a builder, I'm, I'm not like I said, I'm not even a farmer. I'm just I'm like a you know jack of all trades and definitely mm. a master of none. <laughs> but with, so when everyone asks a question, it's right. I don't know the answer to that question. We, we're going to go and have to find out. Um, mm. But they um, must be impressed that you then come back with an answer. Yeah, I'm not sure if impresses that we you know, we should we should know the answers, but it's I think I think fundamentally where I'm quite honest as a person, and like when I've just told people and I've said this is what we're trying to achieve, mm. this is why we're doing it to make better products, to more sustainable mm. buildings, um, and it's really it's quite hard to I don't, most people just kind of get on board with that straight away. They mm. realise that you know actually. We'll, we're trying to do the right thing, so yeah. they're not. They don't. Maybe perhaps they don't scrutinise this like they would scrutinise. You know, there's like, you know four or five big fiberglass installation companies in the UK, and you know they right. have their sales They have teams a different degree of detail. Exactly. Well, the, they're, they're the just, things uh, they're interested in, and because they're, 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 those products have existed for a long, long time. You know, uh-huh. decades. Right. So you know, there is always going to be an, when you do something new. There's always going to be an element of you know what if mm. you know, and people ask different questions. So. And rightly so, they, they, you know, we, we want our product to be the best it can be. And the more questions we get asked, the more scrutiny we actually get put through in, lot, in lots of ways mm-hmm. is, is better. Um, but yeah, it's, we have some, there's been some tough days, some tough months where mm. it's been like, Jesus, is this ever going to happen? You know, um, I guess you just don't feel like you get to the end of what you need to learn and put together. But then eventually all of those bits come together and you then have a product. Well, that's it. You know, it's taken, I don't know, about 18 months to get to this point where you know, we have a product now that is certified. You know, we, we can sell it to, you know, everyone. You know, but fundamentally, it's got all the right stamp certificates for, you know, um, 
for the buildings we the sort of buildings we want to be in to see you know average residential sort of dwellings um it's, it's more than capable mm-hmm. it's, it's got all the right paperwork to go with that um mm-hmm. and so yeah we're um yeah we're there and like kind of personal mandate like I always say to myself every day when we have these tough days, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Right. And that's yeah. sort of just, yeah. and that kind of goes back to my sailing thing. Like when right. I was sailing offshore and racing and, you know, when it was like, you know, your head down up, you know, in a storm and right. covered in cold water and yeah. feeling pretty miserable at three o'clock in the morning. Like if it was easy, everyone yeah. would do it. Yeah. It's just that kind of, I don't know. It's given a good grounding. Yeah. It's just that, yeah. Like, I, it just kind of at the end of every day, you know, I've got a, 14 month old daughter now our first child one of my wife's and um i think with the world and we all know about climate change and you know we had the hottest day in october yesterday on record ever and it's all lovely we're all walking on a beach on the island you know really enjoying it and but you know this is i joked yesterday this is what the end of the world looks like right. you know, it's, it's it's 25 degrees in october and we're all stoked because the weather's nice but yeah bigger picture is this isn't this is a problem yeah and and it's flooding new york and, exactly yeah, it's, it's, and yeah. it, it you know we all it's it's, it's a it's, it's definitely happening. Um, so it requires, you know, it requires, you know, a million imperfect people just to do lots of little bits. You know, mm. we don't have to want to be perfect, but just needs everyone doing something. So if I can do my bit, and if, you know, I thought, you know, at the sort of stage of my, my career at the moment, what, what could I spend the next 20 years doing? I could carry on sailing, but am I, am I really delivering the impact? No. And I, I kind of think when, you know, when my daughter's 18, if she looks at, you know, she might say to me, I'm sure there's going to be some very angry 20-year-olds, 18-year-olds in, in, you know, in 20 years' time mm-hmm. who are going to feel very let down that everyone still, we kept on kicking this net zero thing down the road and mm. haven't really done anything meaningful. But you know, it'd be nice just to look her in the face and say that I wasn't part of the problem, right. that I, we did, we tried, we did the mm. best we can. Mm. And if, we, you know, if the world hasn't fundamentally changed in 20 years' time, well, you know, I can only do what I can do. And, mm. yeah, so that's, yeah kind of my reason for or one of my big reasons for doing what we do because it'd be, yeah, it would be nice to look her in the face and say we did the best we can we tried to do something meaningful and I can live with that it's not yeah yeah, yeah. and well and in the meantime you have the excitement of building a new company mm. organization and changing an industry as well yeah it's um been invited to talk at my first conference this week in Belfast I'm flying to Belfast tomorrow to go talk at a biocomposites which is slightly equal amounts terrifying and um, <laughs> exciting but it's yeah it's great that these sort of products um, and hemp fibre as a as a as a material is starting to get really get noticed now. Um, right. And there's you know there's a couple of great people across the UK in different sort of businesses doing somewhat similar things. But um, yeah, we're, we're all it's it's great to be we're working together as an industry to create this, which is mm. yeah it's 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 exciting. But you'll find that once you get on the the circuit of doing conferences you'll get endless invites to other conferences. So yeah. it's the start of a great big <laughs> wave, it, yeah, no, wave of conferences for you. But, okay, so the hemp, the hemp product for insulation, if we look at what's used currently, though I've seen those fairly thick sort of one-inch boards maybe, is that about thick? And they've got a, an orangey or a yellowy material in, in the, the middle, centre. So it's foil, foil-faced. What is that? What is that stuff? It's fundamentally, um, I think you're talking about you, you like so your Celotex, your sort of PIR, PUR boards. Um, they're all oil derived products, basically plastic and chemicals mixed together into a foam. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, they're, they're incredible insulators. We can't get around the fact that they're, they're brilliant at what they are, you know, one of the biggest or sort of, you know, um, 
pre-Grenfell, um, they were one of the best-selling insulation products that, 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 that within that got those sort of in that marketplace. Yeah, Grenfell changed everything right. in the insulation world. Um, Grenfell still with the effects of Grenfell, obviously the horrendous disaster and tragedy that it was. Yeah, um, has changed a lot. A lot of the feedback we've had is based around. Grenfell, I say right. more, way more stringent on fire testing and yeah. bits and pieces, um, and uh, surrounding that. And there's a lot more nervousness now about specification because obviously, you know, the, the, the companies that were involved with Grenfell are, are still in court, as far as I believe, and right. they've kind of been dragged, rightly so, they've been dragged through right. trying to find accountability for that for that incident. But and they and it burnt because those, those, it's oil based. Yeah, it's those like, boards when they when they go up, they really go up, and they release they. Um, very toxic gas right. um, when they when they burn, and so unfortunately, um, not to speak, but I think Grenfell a lot of people would have, would have died through the gas in, inhalation as well as the smoke in, okay. inhalation. And they also um, release sort of very flaming. They they melt and they yeah. just drip True. flaming blobs. Well, we've all set fire to crisp bags, haven't yeah, we? And yeah, exactly. Seen that? Yeah. It's basically it's, it's you know they they just um, they just release they they they, they, they when they when they burn they really burn and they yeah, release horrible gas and. Uh, release these flaming blocks, right. which spreads fire very quickly. And the fact it's oil-based, obviously, yeah. is, means it has a, a shelf, a, a particular a life anyway. Yeah. Because as oil runs out, then they won't be able to make these things. Exactly. Well, the you know, it's um, is that a byproduct of another process? I'm not sure to be honest. Okay. It's just, like I said, they were you know, like I said, very clever in lots of ways. Brilliant insulator. You know, they they are they. Will we ever be able to compete with the thermal values of a you know a, a hardboard you know, like, like those? Probably not, but again, like I said, with doing our own home system, it's just we could. Um, can we just design better from now? Right. We, there's a huge. Like I said there's a there is lots of a rush to. We need to insulate these homes, but you know, there's no point running around in, in, my, in my eyes. No point running around filling homes with these sort of materials, whether it's those boards or fiberglass. Mm. It's it, let, let's pump the brakes for a second yeah. and really think about what is the. You know, how can we be? You know, again, one of our kind of company values is you know be a better ancestor. Right. Think beyond us, because it's, what, it's easy to say. You know, we can fill the houses with these sort of products, mm. but then in a hundred years' time, um, we get those houses might get knocked down. So, how do you know? Why can't we just do it better now? There is a better way now. Whether mm. it's hemp fiber or rather natural fiber or other better design products. You know, I'm not saying this is a silver bullet because it's not suitable for every application. But um, there are other products out there which you know are better than those, or which have a better you know whole lifespan mm. that we should be using. But again, that's just my kind of personal view. Well, I guess if we see what's happening with building waste, there's tighter and tighter restrictions on what people. I don't know if you're aware, but now things like uh, soffits and that kind of stuff, yeah. you can't get rid of that on the island. No, it's the, um, the, the, it needs to go it. to. It's it needs to go to off. Off to the mainland to be processed. Yeah. So I guess that will get to a point where these materials, because they're not able to break down, might get to that as well. Well, exactly. You know, the cost of waste is huge. A lot of the developers we spoke to, and a few modular home builders who we're working with, because obviously the, the rise of sort of modular homes is a, is a it's well, what it, there's been a few struggles in the industry in the UK in the last year, but um, I think we will see a lot more modular homes um, around the UK, and they're quite popular in lots of different parts of the world already. Because but they come basically pre-made, it just, it's, it's it's a bit. Um, there's a there's a whole myriad of reasons why mod factory based factory production. based efficiency production yeah. etc. It's, like, it's just the car model, you know. It's just yeah. ultimate efficiency, no wastage. No, you know, it's a it's it's a great way to build houses in lots of ways. Um, 
But uh, and obviously, there's, there's a huge skill shortage now on building sites because I think there's a, there's generally a, on your average big housing estate, you know, your Barrett Homes, Persimmons, these sort of guys. I think they are really struggling to find people to because I don't think necessarily young people want to go into the right. trades like they used to. You know, bricklayer. Mm. I think there's a huge shortage of bricklayers, etc. So by building things off-site, yeah, you, you, you obviously you're, you're saving labour. Um, yeah. There's less of a requirement for people on-site. So uh, and you know, standards are being reached. Exactly. Yeah. Consistencies there. Yeah. Um, but these guys, you know, their interest, but waste costs them a fortune. Um, back to your original point, you know, mm. throwing things away. Mm. And a lot of them are trying to hit their own zero waste targets. So we work with a great company actually out in um, just past Brighton, and they, the, 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 the company owner there, brilliant, brilliant guy. And he, when, I, when I first went to him, he was they were one of the first companies we approached. And I, you know, we drove out there. You know, it was quite a few hours to drive out past Brighton from the island, and then you know we. Uh, Got there, and within five minutes, he said, "Nick, you're pushing on an open door. That's perfect." Wow! I was like, "Okay, that was it. Meeting over." Let's hope they're all like this. That, well, let's hope right. they're, they're, they're all like this. So, yeah. um, but the again, it's you know, this it, it, waste costs money, and it's going to rightly so. It's only probably going to get harder to throw mm. stuff away. And mm. these some of these materials, like you said, some of these other ins- insulators, um, they're a huge part of the building, um, and when they're being removed, same as plasterboard. Plasterboard, you know, when you yeah. get treated like nuclear waste when you go to the tip, it's yeah. um, it's a problem, but yeah. there are you know there are companies out there in the UK designing new versions of plasterboard. Who again, raising funding, getting it done. Right. Know, a guy I know quite well, he, his company's doing it, and it's based in the West Country. And I really hope they, mm. they crack it and get to the scale they need to be to really challenge mm. that industry because you know we need to start making across the board better products, whether it's bricks, plasterboards, you know, right. insulation, you know, we need soffits. You know, yeah, we need to be thinking about all these things. So we've spoken a lot about new builds, but of course there's a lot of housing that has, I mean, I think you've kind of hit on a lucky time, haven't you? Where A lucky time where we're all being crucified for our energy costs, yep. which no, one is, no one's happy about, apart from maybe the energy companies. Um, so people are now actively looking at how can I not be spending 500 plus pounds a month in the cold, cold winter months? So that's called retrofitting, yep. as, as far as I'm, I'm not teaching you no, 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 yeah, for, for, yeah. for people maybe listening to the podcast who hadn't come across that before. And that really means trying to conserve as much energy as you possibly can by doing things to your house, where the, the sort of the ultimate is, what's the name of the thing where, passive house. Passive house, yeah. Yeah, it was P-A-S-S-I-V. yeah. House, yeah. H-A-U-S? H-A-U-S. Pass that, passive house in that phrase is, a, is a, it's like a copyrighted term. It's a passive house standard. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a business passive house. Um, is it? I didn't yeah, know so it's, um, Okay. So, but yeah, that's that's the sort of, get anything sort of below a sort of 0.15 overall U value of your house, it's kind of, you're into kind of passive house territory. Okay. Where it shouldn't really, you know, cost anything to heat it. Just right. It doesn't leak, but. Um, Which in, in terms of people paying their monthly bills now. Yep. must seem frankly unbelievable that you could actually have a it, place yeah. like that. But to get an old, um, on the Isle of Wight, we all know the average, is every house is pretty much a three-bed Victorian semi. You know, it's, I don't know. Solid walls. I don't know what percentage of the unhousing stock it is, but um, I live in a three-bed Victorian semi in Cowes. You know, every other house in Cowes is basically the same. Yeah. Um, guess getting new houses to passive house standard is probably not going to happen. Oh, sorry, sorry, getting old houses, I mean, to passive house standard. Yeah. It's almost impossible um, because it's very specific to, to how you build the house. But you can still get your house to a, a way lower U-value. Um, it strikes than... me a little bit, having looked at this world, it strikes me a little bit like the high-end hi-fi world. 
where you can sort of get to 80% relatively easy, yeah. easily towards passive house. But to get to that last that last 10% up to 90 is going to cost you what probably what it cost you to get to 80. And then the percentages beyond that, exactly get that. To, you end up with £100,000 speakers and goodness knows what. Yeah, exactly that. It's, Just um, to try and attain that, that yeah, final if you part. Look at, um, but the bulk of the saving is in, is in the 80%. Yeah, and there's some really simple things you can do. And this is a bit that um, retrofit, huge topic. Obviously, we're heavily involved with retrofit. Um, and I've been to various conferences, exhibitions, and different views. And, you know, obviously we're trying to do retrofit using nat- more natural, uh, greener materials, because um, that's, what, that's what we believe in. But what standards, what should be achieved? And, you know, if social housing, retrofitting social housing is a massive topic across the UK. We all know there's huge problems with damp and mould, and there's been some terrible cases in the news recently of, you know, you know children becoming sick or dying mm-hmm. because they're living in damp, cold houses, which, you know, is fundamentally awful, um, what kind of what kind of country are we living in when this is sort of happening? So, um, but yeah, there's a huge tool and there's lots of money spent, lots of government money being put aside for these huge retrofit projects, um, and a lot of the social housing groups are doing it. But there's this whole house retrofit model, which is great in lots of ways, but it's taking such a long time to do when they make perhaps there's more basic things that can be done because one, there's a huge shortage of labour nationally to do these works, so. It's a real because no one no, is so trained on it. Exactly, no one's trained on it, and um, it's, so to do, we need, we need people who are trained. We need a lot of them, um, you know. And there's, you know, I've met people. There's, there's businesses springing up left, right, and centres trying to set up training schools and recruiting people. And um, but for example, the Isle of Wight College, they aren't running the courses. Right. You no, know, we we need, we need MVQ two level qualified fitters for yeah. loft installation, you know, external wall installation. These are six, seven, eight week courses, not particularly long courses. Yeah. But they're not being ran at more local levels, so that's something you know, we're we're trying. Did to... they they did a trial of some stuff? Did they? Or, or they... They've done a, f- a few bits and pieces, um, mm. but we and we've worked with some of some other groups on the island. There's uh, Future Isle of Wight who are yeah. working really hard to. They're a community interest company based in the West Wight, mm-hmm. trying to let people know about grant-funded works and get people into it. And I know they were working with the job centre to try and get people, you know, from unemployment into these sort of jobs. Um, And also there's the Footprint Trust, again, doing similar things, trying Mm -hmm. to let people know about um, grant-funding work and other other bits and pieces. And, you know, there's a lot of us, you know, I say a lot of us, but there's a a handful of us Mm. knocking the doors of the council, you know, Mm. local authority, the college, trying to see how do we get this, you know, how do, we, how do we get this going on the island to start with? But What's the resistance from the from the college then? They can't see the demand because uh, uh, no one knows about so it. So I, I haven't directly spoke to the college, so I can't speak on their behalf, but I know anecdotally that people have just said that, that they, there's not the demand for the course. Yet. Right, because um, no one knows about it. it. So it's, it's sort of this education circle, exactly. I guess. Exactly, so really, we, we need, yeah. in our business, um, we need MVQ2 level qualified fitters to go and do these installation works, especially for the grant-funded works. Um, we they're quite hard to come by um, right. because most your average builder doesn't have necessarily MVQ levels because they learned by doing they learned on the yeah. job they didn't necessarily do college courses mm-hmm. um, so and again you, will you get the average builder to go back and do a college course perhaps not because they're too busy building they're, yeah. they're busy yeah. busy doing their jobs so it's um, yeah it's but there's a great opportunity here to get especially school leavers young people um, right. into 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 a trade and like I said on the island alone there's jobs for the next. 30, 40 years, you, right. they could probably spend the rest of their careers yeah. insulating homes, um, working on the island. So, and having a positive impact. And having a real positive impact. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, but that's something we'll keep sort of fighting for and pushing hard. And I think 
inevitably, eventually, it's going to happen. But mm. like I said, these things take time. Um, so what are good retrofit steps that people can take? Yeah. Just check, first of all, to check your loft. Um, you know, I, I joked this weekend and I actually put up my LinkedIn this morning is that when I'm in the pub at the weekend, everyone's desperate to talk about solar panels, their, their new electric car, their heat pump, uh-huh. all these things. So, yeah. you know, what? so a, a guy, I won't name him because it's embarrassing, but he tell me about his solar panels and he's showing me on his phone these are what my solar panels are generating right, right now it's right. plugged into my into Tesla my power wall into my battery uh-huh, and, right. or, and, and, and I've got my tumble dryer on at 2 o'clock in the morning and you know I've got the car charging for free and this and that and all these different things I'm like have you insulated your loft and he's like no I'm like so you've spent tens right. of thousands if not maybe hundreds of you know a hundred right. thousand pounds on all these things but you haven't insulated your loft just most lofts are nowhere near where there needs to be about 400 mil really like you know of insulation. It's that much now. yeah so it's right. um most it's just get you know go and take your loft quite cheaply done um you can do it yourself or you know we could do it for you mm-hmm. <laughs> perhaps it's uh it, it, like I, I say put a woolly hat on every house it just it's just a starting point <laughs> that's a good just way go around putting woolly hats on every house and you, that'll make a yeah. huge difference right because we you know like i said there's this there's this there's this nationwide scramble and all this money being put aside for whole house retrofit which is external wall cladding you know replacing all the windows um with triple glazing and all these different things it takes lots of time takes lots of money arguably would be would be better at just let's just start with the, the low-hanging fruit yeah i might be completely wrong and uh, i'm sure there's someone who will argue with me and i'd really welcome it but i think to just deliver the most amount of impact quickly, mm. let's just do the lofts because right. the lofts are easy. Right. Go and do that, and then work our way through the because the, the, the sort of the depth of has increased over the years. It's sort of yeah, like 190 before, it's isn't it? Changed. Then, yeah, no, it was 270. Yeah. I, think. I think it's 370 now. So it's about um, okay. Yeah, so it, it it does change fairly frequently, but it's um, but ne- the building standard isn't necessarily where we should be. It's just an indication of. The minimum that you need to to pass the building standard. Exactly. So, but, yeah. Um, but that's just that's just a simple thing to do. It's just that's the lowest right. hanging fruit. I think just. Um, but yeah, people are desperate to tell you. People are desperate to go and get solar PV and heat pumps because they're sexy. You can see them. Um, you can tell your mates in the pub about it. You, uh-huh. can, you can you can pull up in your new Tesla on the and, app. And the, exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's gadgets. It's Gucci. It's cool. Yeah. But, you know, just do insulate your loft because it's the cheapest way you can save a lot of money. Right. Um, and it, you know, it pays for itself pretty quickly um, when you get that done, especially with the price of energy right now, so, which is the yeah. you know it's a it's probably not going to get any cheaper in the in the short term anyway. So um, so after lofts, then most of the obviously. energy goes through the walls. Well, windows, walls, drafts. You know, look at obviously drafts. Look at um, you, if you do have old windows, obviously if you, especially if you've got single glaze windows, that's a problem. Um, so so if you had single glaze and solid walls. What would you be better of replacing first? Putting insulation on the walls or getting the single glazing sorted out? Well, I think a lot of houses in the island that have got single glazing are probably listed or in conservation areas. So that um, I'm not a specialist on windows, so I can no, okay. I can say suggest the best. Um, I did once live in a single glaze in an old house in Cowes with this sort of thing. We couldn't do really much to the windows because the building was listed. Right. Um, so yeah, I'd be looking at your external walls but again. Mm. Can you? clad them on the outside or can you look at doing it into internal wall insulation there are some um, our products can be used for internal wall insulation mm-hmm. um, but there are there are other systems available um, and that involves removing the well, it's not called wattle and daub that's the first generation removing the, the, the plaster basically lather and plaster yeah the, the, which is the little flat lolly sticks effectively yeah. with plaster over them I'm being highly technical now. <laughs> it's fundamentally what it is. <laughs> so it's removing that and then putting some sort of 
battening system. Ba- ba- up, exactly, battening the wall. Um, Which battening is just bits yeah. of wood or metal, perhaps. Well, you, you need really an insulated batten. Um, and like I said, there are systems out there that have insulated battens, but otherwise, because you'll get cold spots um, where the, the, the cold will bridge from your solid wall to the, the, the facing, whatever facing board you have on the end, whether that's a plasterboard. Right. So you need an insulated batten with and insulation that means in between. That the potential of damp at that point is increased. Can't, that's, that's, that's one of the issues. But just okay. again, you're losing. You're just cold. You've got that cold patch, so it's not performing as well as it could do. Okay. Especially if you know, you've got a batten every however many distance, you know, whatever the distance is. Yeah. yeah you'll be, that's drawing heat exactly, out of your room. Okay. Bridging heat back out. So, um, yeah, you can insulate, you insulate your solid walls. That's the next thing. So, um, and obviously, then you look into things like subfloor and, and stuff. Then, but, but you'd fit your product in in between, in between the battens, yeah. Right. Okay. So our product's particularly suited for old buildings. So again, living where we live, um, old buildings need to breathe. Um, modern materials don't breathe. Um, hemp fibre um, is a very, very is it, the, 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 as an insulation product. It's, it's, it's very breathable. Um, moisture can travel through it, um, which is perfect for old buildings, um, mm-hmm. and that will actually help to preserve the building because you, you see it quite a lot in especially houses. Um, even in newer builds, but you'll see that sort of black damp patch above the skirting board. It's because they've got those foil-backed boards behind the plasterboard. Yeah. Moisture does travel through the plasterboard, and then right. it'll run down the foil face, and then, then build up around the skirting boards. That's where you get those black damp patches above the skirting boards. Whereas um, hemp fibre, like all natural fibres, if you go for a stomp at the weekend, you know, if you go for a hike over the hills, you're, better, you're way better off wearing sort of wool or natural fibre base layers because they breathe better mm-hmm. than you know, you, you know, if you wear like a Synthetic. When you put your waterproof on, no matter how breathable it's, right. it claims to be, yeah. we all end up sort of gathering bo- the sweat, bo- in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> if you imagine that in, on, on, on your house, and if you cover your house in, in sort of plastic-based, oil-based materials, right. the same thing happens. They, they, right. they don't breathe, so you need, you need moisture to travel through. So quite often there's talk of vapor barriers. Is that something that's needed with your product as well? Yes. Yeah, so vapor. Again, I'm not a building technician. Vapor barriers. So with our new home system, we will include a vapor barrier. Technically, you don't need one, um, but you need to prove the system. You need legislation to change. It's hard to to get through all the um, the current. Um, it, this, this is just purely in terms of new builds. Um, we to get like a warranty on a new build house. Um, right. The specification. You, you, the specification. You have to you'd require a vapor barrier. Okay. So we are looking at. Um, more sustainable vapor barriers. There are some available, um, and that's mm. what we prospect in our system. But the, um, it, technically, you would you you wouldn't need it because you get moisture travel inside and outside. Then mm-hmm. it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. But in a, not a, obviously because it's it, not making sense, down Because <laughs> well, you you, you, you know you look, you know you're cladding on the outside of an external wall. You have cladding and you know a yeah. weatherboarding, so you you won't have moisture hammering the outside of it and then travelling into your house. Right. Okay. So. If people, I mean, most of the houses here are, as you said, Victorian on the island. So people think, okay, we, we've done, done the loft. Thanks for the tip, Nick. Yep. We've got the woolly hat on the house. Then next think about the walls because, is it something like 35% of energy goes through the walls? Something like that. It's a, yeah. it's a, a, a surprisingly large number, isn't it? And a lot of these are solid buildings yep. here, solid stone, so you don't have perhaps the benefit of that air gap between that can be filled. So then, so they have the system fitted and then they choose to fit your product because it's locally grown and supporting a local business, but also providing grey insulation. They then 
don't necessarily, if they're retrofitting, they don't necessarily have to have the vapour barrier. Is that right? With, with so the, I mean, it all depends on the build and where you put it on the, obviously, for an internal wall, you, you wouldn't need it. Um, but again, I'd, for a non-external yeah. facing wall, yeah, I'd, I'd have to speak to some of our team about okay. um, specification for that. Um, okay, depending on yeah the situation, you know, the, the team we're building now on the island to do this work are you're going to be retrofitting. Yeah, so they're they're, they're they're all experienced builders and um, right, you know, installation specialists. So that's I'd, I'd, I'd put I'd lean on them for the advice and specification. I think many people who've even slightly looked into doing this in their own homes. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a, just an enormous ton of information. Nothing like the amount of information you've had together for your business. But as an individual, I know, and speaking to other friends who have been down this route as well, you look in so many different areas to try and gather this information. There doesn't seem to be a single point to hold all this information. So you have to spider out, find what you can, draw it back in, and try and draw your own conclusions from it. And then you kind of get an idea of what you would want to do to your house to not be sp- spending absolute fortunes on on energy. There's a benefit that you're reducing your CO2 mm-hmm. footprint as well. But I think people's most people's focus is the money. And and in some that's what I said before. Yeah, it's, a- it's it's a benefit to you that, that we're in this situation that we are. But then it gets to the point of okay, well let's go. And then there's just no one that can do this yep. on the island. So it's fantastic that you're putting this together. Well, so we noticed that the work just wasn't happening on the island. And that's, you know, it was, I was like, hang on a second, this is, this is ridiculous. You know, we've, this is, you know, we're an island to start with. And there were some, especially for the, a lot of the grant funded works, um, you know, there's, this, there's a huge requirement for it. There's um, there were a handful of contractors coming across from from the mainland and they, Cardiff. They were they were complaining about it. Apparently they were you know they were looking to try and they, they didn't want to. It was it was a, it was a hassle for them to come down here to do the work. So you know, I thought, how can we as a business have more local? Like I said, we're a UK wide business in terms of where we're pushing our products to, and where we're manufacturing and growing. But how do we have more of a local impact? And that was well, we need to start delivering these works ourselves because if mm. we if we don't start, you know, you know, how are we going to get this job done? So you know, yeah. it's going to take us. And quite a few others to to get this. So if anyone's interested in, you know, um, working for with us for us, um, you know, helping us in any way, it would be great to be really appreciate to chat to some people because it's going to take an army of people to get the art to get the island to the, the net zero goal of twenty fifty. Yeah, um, I, and I think homeowners will be grateful to you for for making that step. Because you could just say, well, you know, all we're doing is product, but to actually implement it, one, I guess you get case studies, but also the idea that actually you're making a difference to, to the population of the Isle of Wight. Well, that's it. I think, like, anecdotally, people were just telling us that they couldn't, you know, when they, I know good builders on the island are really hard to find, for example, and that's just for everything. Good tradespeople, we don't have huge amounts of them on the island because we are an island, you know, it's a reasonably small population, so it's trying to get this work done. It's difficult getting getting booked in, finding someone to do it, to quote it, all the all the rest of it. So we are trying to make it as simple as possible. But and by working with people like the Footprint Trust, uh, Future Isle of Wight, they you know they're looking trying to get access to as many people as possible, make people as as aware as, as possible of what they're eligible to, if there's any grant funding available, what the best way is to do it. You know what the, they'll look at people's houses and tell tell people provide them with this information. Mm-hmm. Um, and likewise, we're trying to do the same. Is how do we? to make it as easy as possible for people to realise what they can do, what the art of possible is, mm-hmm. and how to do it, and ultimately, obviously, 
how much it's going to cost and when we can get it done. Um, mm. And that's actively being built now? Yep. That's, right. Yeah, we, we, we're recruiting at the moment, um, trying to find MVQ qualified level people. So if, again, if there's anyone out there who's got an MVQ... And if they're not qualified, can they come yes, to you Yes, to we can. We, we'd be very interested to talk to people who are willing to do the qualifications. Um, so yeah, if anyone's out there who thinks this, they might be super for this, you know, ideally we need people who've got experience in insulating buildings um, mm. and general building work. Um, so yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear from people who might be interested in perhaps we can get them on some courses. Mm. I just think that idea of, in, it, when you're doing building works, you are making, you are improving people's lives. You are making people's lives better because their house, you know, they, they live in a house and they think they want to make a change and that happens. I'm not talking about insulation, I'm just sort of generally, yeah. I don't know. Anything that anyone does to a house yeah. is, is a better thing, but actually to think of how many generations that you can help by being involved with retrofitting houses. Exactly that. And it, uh, I think there's going to be some big law changes over the next 10 years or so as the government realise that they're kind of woefully, whichever government we have mm. in, the, in the next few years, but I think everyone will start to realise that, because um, obviously they made it mandatory when you sell a house to get the EPC certificate, um, for example. That was f- almost the first step. Yeah. I think the next step will be... Which, which was up until recently just broadly ignored. Yeah. People, no really, oh, EPC, yeah, well, yeah. okay, it's a hassle, I've got to do it. Yeah. But no one looked at it. So now I think people take more notice of the EPC. If it's an E, people are like, well, that house is going to cost me a fortune to heat. Mm-hmm. I think the next stage up, I mean, this is purely speculation, but I think the next stage up will be you won't be able to sell a house unless it's at EPCC. So there'll be an onus on the homeowners right. to then make sure that house, you won't be able to, to sell it unless it's got, it's at the required standard. And I, I imagine that standard, it may not be as far as a C, but it'll be, mm. it'll be higher than the average. And it'll be, I, I imagine that'll be get progressively higher mm. and higher every time because I think that's one of the only ways they could they can really force it to happen, um, to get it out there to, for the UK to hit its net zero objective. I think the also, another thing, which I think people, when you live in a house, it's sort of the, the inverse of, of a boiling frog, really. It's a sort of a freezing frog, fog. But people live in a place, you just become used to how the property is that you live exactly. in. And you don't think, oh my God, it's actually a bit chilly here. Yeah, no, it's, or uh, I can, why am I feeling wind in my face? Or any of these things. And I think that's what's really interesting about the open house idea that's coming up of people being able to visit houses that have been insulated. I haven't heard about this. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, oh, t- I'll give you some detail. Okay. So the, the idea is really to say, until someone experiences what an insulated house is like, then they don't understand how their house isn't as comfortable. Yeah. We've probably all lived in cold homes at some point in our life. And yeah. You know, certainly, like I said, my first house in Cowes was solid walls, single-pane glass in that place. That and it had a really under-spec heating system and it was cold. It was, mm. you know, early 1800s. It was a freezing, freezing cold house. And in the winter, you'd wake up and see your breath and, you know, right. particularly and particularly cold nights. And you'd have the heating on 24 hours a day sometimes. But um, well, you just sort of... You kind of get, just get put, used put to another it. jumper on, yeah, and put another jumper it. on top of that jumper yeah. and a hat on, and you're sleeping in woolly hats and all sorts. But yeah, I guess it just becomes normal, and maybe that's part of being English, or used to be of yeah. let's just get on with it. You know, maybe we don't like to complain, <laughs> do we? But it, yeah, especially um, you know, not to go on a sort of tangent here, but it's, it's people shouldn't be living in cold homes. It's just not it's not right. So yeah. obviously, we, there was especially last winter when the, the price of heating went through the roof, you know. And, and the price of energy went through the roof. It just wasn't, you know, it didn't sit comfortably with me. So, again, how do we, 
Mm. How do we insulate? How do we, how do we make social housing better? You know, why why people are living in damp, cold um, yeah. so social housing? Why you know, poorer people shouldn't be shouldn't have to put up. It shouldn't just be yeah. the, the case that they have to put up living in cold, damp homes because they can't necessarily afford to heat them. It's just yeah, it's not it's not right. And I think there are just some quite easy levers to to pull to make it happen. But on the flip of it, you know, like I said, the, the scale of the opportunity here for employment, economic benefit, it. Both, you know, yes, there's a cost to it, but at the same time, there's huge benefits to creating a workforce, an army of people to do this, these, these jobs for the next 30 or 40 years. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever going to, you know, like I said, there's just so much to do. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the damp and the cold are linked, are they? Yes. Yeah. Obviously, we all know if you, if you leave a property for six weeks in the winter with the heating off, you'll come back and it'll feel cold because moisture, houses have moisture in them, you know, inherently. You breathing. Know, breathing, <laughs> cooking, showering, or, you know, all these different yeah. things. And moisture will always go to, you know, basic science will always go and sit and condense on the coldest surface it can find, and then it will sit there. Right. And then, obviously, the, the wetter it gets, the colder it gets, the wetter it gets, it gets even colder, and then that's when you end up with big patches um, eventually in a house. So, um, no, it's, obviously, it's not good for... I'm not a doctor. It's a, Like I said, I'm not many things, but it's... Yeah, uh, yeah it's... Uh, yeah, it's just not. It's not good for the, the inhabitants of that house to live in damp. And I mean, I think there've been some pretty powerful stats that the NHS were prescribing central heating last last winter, weren't they? I think for some people because I they realised that. that. Yeah, yeah, I think in different parts of the UK they trialled it. They just it was much cheaper to pay for people's heating than it was to, you know, to fix them in hospital when uh, living in cold houses. You know, were so detrimental to their to their own house. So yeah, it's um. Like I said, this is all just part of the bigger picture of why we just need to get this done. So, I mean, there's this enormous task ahead. There's the product you're developing, but that you are... I'm, I can't help but be impressed by how much thought and energy you're putting into fixing this. What is what is the stage beyond the, where you are now, then? Where, where do you see the company going? And it's, it's grown, is the company. Grown, yeah. G-R-W-N. Yeah, so Drop the vowels out. Exactly, it is. Yeah. It, G-R-O-W-N dot com was already taken. Was it? <laughs> and uh, someone, uh, someone who was more clever in branding said it was a bit more striking just to have it as yeah. uh, G-R-W-N yeah. group. And yeah, because the future's grown. That's what, what's our kind of tagline. Is that nice. We can physically grow the buildings of the future. Right. Um, where would I like growing to be is we, like, we want to deliver as much impact as possible. And whether that's on a local level or a UK-wide level, that's, that's where we'd like to go. Um, and we need to, you know, we need stakeholders and partners to get involved with it as, as soon as possible. Um, you know, obviously having our own factory, manufacturing, you know, at scale. But, you know, to start with in eighteen months' time, you know, we currently outsource our manufacture. Um, so you can provide product now. We can provide product now. It's available now. So we've got to, we've got two sites, one in Europe, one in the UK, where okay. we can manufacture. Um, we, yeah. So we, you know, our own factory, maybe two factories at some point. Um, and to be a real viable alternative to start disrupting some of the legacy brands and legacy products out there. Um, I said we, we have got quite, we've got some large interest from some of the bigger UK wide retailers in the, in the building space, the merchant space who are looking at these products quite seriously, knowing that there is a future for them if, mm. if someone's there to, to, to deliver it. And I think we can be hopefully that company. Right. Um, so the, the retrofitting side is something you see perhaps beyond the island eventually. Yeah, for sure. It's, of course, you know, again, scale of impact. It's um, we 
we'll start on the island, all things have to start small. You know, so we'll start with two blokes in a van and hopefully that will go to four blokes in two vans and mm. you know, grow it that way on the island. But there's big projects on, on the mainland that we've been um, involved with looking at. There's, you know, there's projects with the Duchy of Cornwall that we've had conversations with and across some of their various parts because obviously they're very pro um, sustainable materials. So you know, we, we're looking further afield, but again, we have to start start small, yeah. build that part. It'll be a, it'll be a branch of growing, of growing group. Um, the, the retrofit side of things, the actual doing of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll we'll look to grow that on the island and then see where it goes. But could we do? You know, there are some big national retrofit companies. Um, again, using they tend to be they're not. Um, obviously, there's a huge opportunity. So of course, there's there's big business doing big things, and we we've, we've spoke to a, a lot of those companies about using our products. They are quite interested, but again, perhaps the the price point where we are currently doesn't work in the in the the, pro, the projects that they're currently undertaking. Mm-hmm. How do we um, how do we perhaps compete with them at some point in the future? But mm-hmm. you know, we'll we'll see once a bit of time because it's yeah. like you said, I, I do have quite a lot on my plate at the moment. Um, <laughs> and we're, we're slowly growing up. We're a very lean team. There's about three or four of us, so um, yeah, we're slowly growing that out. But we've been mm-hmm. very careful not to. Um, Fritter through too much cash because we you know we, we are we are um, investor investor backed, right. um, so we are keeping an eye on the pennies as we as we grow the team and grow the business. Hmm. You've mentioned a couple of times that the price differential between your product and other ones. What's what kind of scale is the difference? We're about twenty five percent more expensive than mineral right now, which is sort of our nearest competitor. Um, so and that, that is an oil based one as well, is it mineral? Uh, it's mineral made out of uh, rock out of quarried materials, so it's a. Quite a lot of energy to and very energy intensive gather, to, to manufacture, yeah. So okay. that's um, down. So obviously, it's made of quarry materials. Um, obviously, depending how you do it, and not it's again, like fiberglass but made out of rocks, made, made out of rock, yeah, basically. Okay. So, um, it's um, you know, clever product, um, been around for you know, a long time, um, got you know, quite a bit going for it, but like it's just a very, very energy intensive process to manufacture, so very carbon intensive. Yeah, to make. I mean, rocks are quite hard, aren't yeah, they? A lot, a lot of heat involved so, right. to make these products. So, um, yeah, and heat obviously is heated energy. So it's that's that's what it's got going against it. So um, right, and obviously depending on where that where that energy comes from to manufacture mm-hmm. it, um, mm-hmm. it's yes, it's a, it's a problem. So okay, um, you know, the factory we're hoping to build to manufacture our products will be you know will will be solar powered um, it, as far as possible, and it, you know we like to be, we'll be working with you know. Companies who supply us with renewable energy, yeah. if we can't make it enough of it on site ourselves, so these are things that we are, you know, very much. It's been part of the delay um, of, of opening our own factory. One was because the original line we spec was too small, because now we've had a bit more interest. It's kind of like a nice problem to have in lots of ways yeah. that the, the, the initial line is, was too small. So we're, we're, we're reevaluating that now. What, what sort of size line do we need? But then also, how do we find the right site? Where do we want to be? Um, and that's a whole. It's a, it's a huge picture. It's logistics. It's energy, it's proximity to farmland, and not just farmland, actual farmers who would want to work with us to and grow hemp for us at scale. You know, all these different sort of plates spinning, you know, all these balls in the air that we're mm. waiting mm. a few of them to land. Um, but we've got like a few kind of locations that we're, uh, especially in the, I didn't, again, in my sort of naive optimism, I didn't realise that it wasn't so much just, cre- it wasn't just creating a product that's been, it's it's a logistics issue. Building materials mm. is logistics. It's we you know, again, brick. We've got brick factories all over the UK, for example. You know, you can't ship bricks a long way because they're really heavy, mm-hmm. um, and obviously it costs a fortune to move them around. So you have to have, you have to build multiple factories. Again, we're not we don't have the luxury of building multiple factories. We have to build a factory where you know 
with the best access to. So it right. could be the Midlands, it could be, you know, South Wales, it could be, you know, right. We just so it's it's quite. Uh, it yeah, requires just, a bit more a bit more thought. It was a lot more thought than I. Can't you I just thought. type it into ChatGPT and say? Oh, ChatGPT, don't get me started. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the biggest ChatGPT fan going. It's a, it's a game changer that thing. But um, uh-huh. I haven't tried. I stretched. <laughs> but it says, "Where's the best logistics hub to be in the yeah. UK?" To, yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, that's, that's what we're going to do. But yeah. I, I think it's it's as I've said a number of times, it's a remarkable task you've taken on. It really is extraordinary. Scale, perhaps it's something that you didn't know the boundaries of when you when you started, but to have continued to pursue it, find research and then find solutions for stuff is is fantastic. Well, thanks, really, really appreciate really that. It's, um, it's not often we get to. It's not often I get to sit down and just talk about it and almost be like reflective. To be honest, mm. it's um, mm. no, you're doing. It's you're uh, spending your time doing, not chatting. yeah, just doing. That's it. It's um, yeah. So it's it's quite nice to sit here, mm. um, talk about it. Um, I think about what we, what we have and haven't achieved so far, but um, we're kind of one one percent closer every week. Hopefully, that's the brilliant. I can live with one percent. So that's it. Thank you very much for your time. Likewise, thank you. Cheers. Pleasure.